while you're coming, I want to just read something to you that kind of talks to us about the day and the hour that we're in. This is Elul 29. This is the last day of the year on the Jewish calendar. And why is this so important? Well, let me read something to you. This is, this is the year, this is the Shemitah year. And the Shemitah was the seventh year of the seven-year agricultural cycle mandated by God in Deuteronomy for the land of Israel. The current cycle ends Sunday, which is today, which is Yulul 229, the last day of the year on the Hebrew calendar, followed by the next day by the Feast of Trumpets, also called Rosh Hashanah, or the Jewish New Year. The trumpet is symbolic of judgment throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I know there's been a lot of talk, but a lot of hype. There's been a lot of discussion about this fall and really what it means. We are in a very critical time. And uh, I want to share, I believe, a proper way to look at it. Carl Gallups is the author of a book named The Final Warning, Understanding the Trumpet Days of Revelation. And he, said, and he says this about the convergence of the signs in the heavens with the end of the Shemitah year, plus the Pope's visit to the U.S., the U.N. in September 23rd and 25th, and the U.S. getting ready to approve an Iranian nuclear deal seen as detrimental to Israel, should make all Christians watchful but not fearful. I don't know, he goes on to say, I don't know what will or will not happen as a result of this convergence, he said. I liken the whole affair to hurricane season along the Gulf Coast where I live and minister. It begins in June and goes through October and sometimes into November. But just because it is the season does not mean that anything devastating will happen. Nevertheless, we keep watch anyway because all the ingredients are there for a hurricane to pop up. We get prepared and then we get on with life. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But it could be a big shaking on the stock market. It could, the stock market could fall apart. It's done it before. And prophetically, everything's lining up. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. But I'm saying that we'd be prepared for what might happen. All right? He goes on to say, this is a similar scenario with the Shemitah. The world appears to be heading into a prophetic hurricane season. All the ingredients are present for a prophetic happening. I encourage the people of God to get prepared and then get on with life. We are here to be the salt and light, not to run and hide. But ultimately, it is in the hands of the Lord. So listen, I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know we're in the season. I do know that it is going to happen. And it very well could happen right now. It very well could be happening in the very time that we live, or maybe not. But whether it does or doesn't, I want us to get on with life, okay? We don't put our heads in the sand. We don't run to the mountains. We don't hide. We live our life before people as Christians, as examples of preparedness, right? But we're prepared at the same time. This could be the last day. I don't know. It might not be. But I want to live my life prepared and planned out. Amen? So this morning, it is kind of interesting how we take this cup. Because we don't know how soon we'll be taking the next one with Christ. I don't know. I want to be prepared. Do you? 
All right, would you pray with me? Would you close your eyes and pray with me? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, for every person here that has the cup and the cracker in their hand, Father, we just come to you and we say, Father, forgive us of our sin again. Forgive us, cleanse us, make us righteous before you, Father. We're not perfect, but Lord, we come quickly to you in repentance. We come backwards, we repent, we go back to that small and narrow gate. And we want to get on that narrow road and we want to stay on it, Father. But maybe we've slipped and fallen. Lord, forgive us. Receive us, Father, as your children. We thank you for your trials. We thank you for your tests. We thank you, God, for your, your discipline. And now, Lord, we celebrate this cup. We celebrate this cracker, which represents the life of Christ, the body of Christ. And we just welcome you, Father. We can't wait until we see you face to face. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we want to continue on with a rather unconventional service, if you're okay with that. Unconve unconventional. Well, I'm always unprofessional. There's no question about that. Let's just accept that fact right now. If you accept that fact, that takes a lot of pressure off me because I am not a professional at this. But I want to take today to talk about our church and kind of talk about um, the ministry of our church and uh, kind of take it from a uh, family perspective. Um, you know, we don't get together very often. You know, once a week, really, in this kind of a setting is all we really get together. We don't get together Sunday nights. We have a good group on Wednesday nights, growing group. I'd like it to be bigger. I'd like to have it in here. It would be awesome if we could have it in here because we have so many. We're getting full enough in this chapel. We ha may have to move it in here soon. Um, but we just need to take some time to uh, share the heart, I believe, of the ministry. Now, I recognize that this church is a multifaceted organization of people of various personalities, skill sets, ages, giftings, natural and spiritual giftings, that is. Um, we are all different. Basically, um, we're so different that if it wasn't for a church, we might never see each other. And that's okay. We don't have a lot of common interests necessarily besides our common, our common bond in Christ. Uh, and that's okay. And um, in fact, it's good. We may even differ in some of our biblical beliefs. And that's okay too. As long as we agree to agree in the majors and agree to disagree in the minors. The minors may be just personal preferences maybe. But yet we agree on the fundamentals of Christian living. Right? Those are majors. We want to make sure we agree on those. Um, so I want to take this time that we kind of set some expectations of our church and look for opportunities to invite everyone here that calls this their church home to look and find a place of ministry in this body and in our community so that we are all productive in building the kingdom of God. Now, I know church is a place of uh, various... Um, services at different times in your life. Sometimes you come into church really broken, really wounded, really tired, and you just need to rest. And that's good. That's what church is about. And then as you grow and as you get healthy again and as you're productive, it's, a it's time then for you to be those arms that would surround to someone else that would come in that would need to be healed. Right? So there is an active role of ministry for every person 
in a church that calls it a church home. Our mission statement reads, heavenly effective through earthly relevance. Heavenly effective through earthly relevance. And what it means is that if we want our, our eternity in heaven to be effective, we must be relevant here on earth, meaning right now today. We must have an irrelevance on earth today if we're going to have an effective uh, eternity in heaven. And I know while many of us are older here, we can point back to the earlier years of our, of our church life and our effectiveness, and we can look back at it and say, I did this, and I used to teach, and I used to do that, and I used to do these kind of things. And that's great. But we really can't find anywhere in Scripture that says our days of effectiveness are over. It doesn't really make any difference how old you are or how long you've been in a church. You're still called to be effective. And that's a good thing. Maybe we can't do what the younger can do any longer, but there are still areas of effectiveness that the older person, the older saint can do in our, in our church. And the, truly the mark of a follower of Christ, a true follower of Christ, is one that is actively following in the steps of Jesus, meaning they're here that they're constantly progressing on the journey. Sometimes you have to sit down. Sometimes you need to take a break, and that's perfectly fine. But if you sit down too long, you can't follow anymore because Jesus is moving. His spirit is moving over the earth. And if we're not progressively following him, meaning taking steps to follow him, we're going to get left behind. So it's okay. We need a break, and you know what? He's patient, and he understands where you're at in life, and if you're tired and if you need a break, he's going to say, I understand. Take five. Take a breather. And he's going to come, and he's going to send his angels to minister to you and strengthen you again. Then he's going to say, okay, come on, let's go. Time to go. Time to move on. If you say, no, I'm just going to sit here, well, you know what he's going to do? He's going to keep moving. He can't stop. Too many things to do. So I'm encouraging us as the pastor of this church, my responsibility is, is to provide a framework of leadership opportunities that can be built upon by the people that make up the body. It's not the role of the pastor, no matter who he is, to do everything. It's humanly impossible. And if it even was possible, possible it wouldn't be healthy for the body. The pastor cannot be the end all. He can be the leader, he should be the leader, to provide opportunities for ministry, but then it's up to the people to come around and pick it up. Scripture is clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We, we read about it. I'm not going to go there because you can. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the body is, um, makes, is made up of numerous parts. You've got feet, ankles, knees, elbows, eyes, ears, all those things. They're all different, but they're all f fundamentally important to the body. Greg, if your knee's hurting, your whole body hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, that knee's pretty important. And that's likewise in a spiritual body. We all have different things to do. We're all important. We all have a function. And if we're not functioning in our responsibility, the body suffers. We all have a responsibility to do the things that God's calling us to do. So that's kind of where I want to go with this this morning. I have a short video I want to watch that talks about intergenerational relationships. I think we all can appreciate the fact that the generation of today is quite a bit different than the generation of yesterday. That generation gap is getting wider and wider, but we must find a way to bridge that gap. Otherwise, we're going to lose generations, and it's already starting to happen. And I want to just watch this teaching for a few minutes, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more. So let's go ahead and uh, play that, Larry.
What I want to do for a few minutes is I want to talk to the older generation. You may say, am I in the older generation? If you ask, <laughs> enough said. <laughs> then I want to talk to the younger generation, and uh, as a guy who's kind of like maybe a little bit in between, I want to try to speak into both sides. So let's, let's talk first to the older generation, and I really have one thing to say, which I hope is helpful. I would beg you not to resent, fear, or judge the next generation of ministers, but to believe in them, invest in them, Find it as one of the greatest callings on your life to pour into the next generation. Some people say, well, they are the future of the church. They are the church of tomorrow. No, they are the church of today. That They are not on deck. They are in the batter's box today. We're not raising the future church. They are the church of today. I'm talking about 11-year-olds. I'm talking about, I'm telling you, Put them on the stage and let them lead worship. Let them teach and lead. They are not the church of the future. They are the church of today. And you can invest in them and pour them. Don't resent them. They're different, just like you were different. They're supposed to be different. No, spiky hair and those chin, chin, chin things and, and candles and barefoot worship leaders all going to hell. Don't, 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 don't get off on the style or the appearance, believe in them and invest in them. One of the reasons why the older generation finds it difficult to invest in the younger generation, quite honestly, because sometimes we feel very insecure. We do. In fact, I'll tell you, when I turned 40, I'll be 43 in a couple of months. When I turned 40, this odd thought entered my mind. I started to think, I wonder if my best days are behind me. I wonder, can I still connect with the, this was at 40. You imagine the person who's 55, 65, 72, and you start to, you lead from the sense of insecurity, and when you lead from insecurity, nothing works well, because you start thinking you know it all, or faking you know it all, and you start telling people what to do, instead of empowering them as leaders, you delegate completely in the wrong way, you delegate tasks, but when you delegate tasks, you create followers, but what we should do the next generation is we should delegate authority because when we delegate authority, we create leaders. We say to the next generation, don't just do what I say, but I give you freedom to go and make some mistakes, to be aggressive, and we invest in them out of a position of security. The, the big thing is many older people don't feel cool enough. You don't have to be cool, you have to be real. It is much worse to be unreal than uncool. You can be uncool all day long. The younger generation, they, they want authenticity. They want someone who believes in them. They are absent of parental involvement in so many ways because both parents are working. They're craving someone who will sit down, listen, dialogue, and be, be yourself. There is nothing worse than a fat, 50-year-old preacher wearing skinny jeans. That is not of God. Just say no. Just say no. You just be yourself, show up, and listen. You, you may feel insecure. I don't have much left to offer. I want to tell you right now, if you're in the older generation, if you are not dead, you are not done. If you are not dead, you are not done. I believe the best days of ministry are here for you today. Your age and your experience, it is not a liability. It is your greatest asset. 
You are veterans of ministry. Uh, Lyle Schaller, I don't know if any of you know who Lyle Schaller is. Lyle is a crazy man. He, many, he's, he's one of the best church leadership consultants in the world, in my opinion. People have written him off for years because his ideas are so crazy. I met Lyle when he was 75 years old. He's 87.6 years of age today. That's what he told me the other day. He told me he peaked in his early 70s. That's what he told me. He said, now I just count my bowel movements. That's what he told me the other day. That's what he said. He, t he told me, uh, and I believe it, he said he was writing his best books and doing his best thinking in his 70s. Here's what Lyle did for me. Back when I was starting the church in the early years, we had three services, and we were considering going to a fourth. Back then, we didn't know a church in, in, in our country that did four services. It, it was just unheard of. And I bumped into Lyle at an airport. I was like, there's Lyle the man shallow. I said, Lyle, what, I, what do you think? He was 75. Should we go from three to four or is that too many services? Lyle was getting on an airplane at the age of 75. He said, all you young guys are just alike. You think too small. He said, you should be thinking seven services at your first location. Then you should be thinking your second, third, fourth location. He got on a plane and left me with a splitting headache. <laughs> 75 years of age. He, here now, uh, some 12, 13 years later, we're doing church in 14 locations at 80 some odd services. Why? Because there was a 75 year old hero who was peaking and took the time to invest in the next generation. If you're not dead, you are not done. I beg you, I embrace the season that you're in. Embrace the season that you're in. One of the best things that happened to me, we, uh, we bring in uh, people in their 20s to live with us because we feel called to two things. One is we want them to invest in our children and we wanna invest in them, it's a calling. So we select these great people and we had this one gal who lived with us for a couple of years before going to be a, a missionary in another country and we were having the farewell and she said, she brought us in and we were having this speech. She said, Craig and Amy, I want you to know when she's crying, and she said, you've been like, and I could just tell, she's gonna say, you've been like this really cool big brother and sister that I've always wanted. I could just feel it coming. And she said, you've been, you, you're like the mom and the dad I've always wanted. I was like, what the crap, mom and dad? We're like, mom, I, mom dad? Two, and and, and it, it hit me to shift gears. One of the greatest honors I could have at this age is to become like a spiritual dad to the next generation. What, what better thing could I do? Some of you, rather than trying to be cool or trying to be the coach, be a parent. Man, embrace some people. I, I love, um, in my white culture, that's not a spiritual father, it's not a real common term. I spoke at an all-black conference, all African-American. I was the only white guy in the whole place. It was a really rich experience, great people. And afterwards, everybody was introduced to me like, hey, this is my dad. And I was like, nice to meet you. And this is my son. I was like, I was like everybody's related. <laughs> and, and what I didn't realize is that this was one of the most beautiful terms of saying, it's not biological, it's spiritual. This is the man who helped raise me spiritually. This is someone that I love like a son. I came back, there's a guy in my town, um, Pastor Herbert Cooper, he, he's a, a good friend, uh, a black guy, and I helped him start the church. I said, I've, I've been helping you as a mentor. He goes, 
if you're cultured like they get a spiritual, he said, you're right, you're right. He said, from now on, you're my dad and I'm your black son. I like that. I, I, I honestly, those of you in the older generation, embrace that you can be like a parent to those who are to come. I, I love this verse, Psalm 71, verse 18. This is David speaking. He says, even when I am, check this out, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Give me a shot. Let me live long enough, O God. Let me live long enough that I may declare you to the next generation. Give me a shot to live, O God. Give me a shot to live. Let me live long enough, God, that one day I, I could declare you to all the pe people in the next year. I, I, they don't know you like I do. They haven't had the battles like I've had. I've walked with you, God. Give me the shot at the next generation. See yourself as a spiritual father, a mother, and invest in the next generation. Your best days are to come. Those in the younger generation, let me talk to you. I love you so much and believe in you more than you could ever know. You need those who've gone before you. Here's, I wanna talk about your challenge and I wanna talk about your opportunity. Uh, Dr. Tim Elmore, he wrote a great book, Generation IY. His daughter, Bethany, uh, actually was one of the girls that lived with us last summer. Uh, great family. Uh, Dr. Elmore in his book said there was a group who did research on the emerging generation of workers and ask all of these employers, what's the number one word that describes the emerging generation? And hands down, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the most common number one word used was a word that began with E, E. And he, these employers then went and asked the 20-somethings, there's one word everyone says describes you, it begins with E, what word do you think it is? And all of you younger ones said, exceptional, extraordinary, enthusiastic, and not one person named the word that was most common from the older generation describing the younger generation of workers, and that was the word entitled. Entitled. And, and let me just say, it's not your fault, it's because of the way you've been raised. You know, you had to wear a helmet to go to the bathroom when you were a kid <laughs> because mommy didn't want you to get a boo-boo, okay? You know, when we were kids, there, there wasn't seat belts, man. I mean, it was like, we'd sleep in the back of the car in that little window thing everywhere. A pickup truck, that was for 18 kids after football practice going to get a Slurpee at the 7-Eleven, driving 90 miles an hour down the highway, sitting in the back of the pickup truck. You're all locked up in your little car seat, things all safe, little helmets so you don't get around. And it's, you've been protected and told you're special over and over and over again, and you feel very entitled. The challenge is, when it comes to ministry, is that you feel like things should come very easily for you. That you should have what those have who've gone before you. And here's the big, big challenge, I believe, with the emerging generation, is that you tend to overestimate what God wants to do through you in the short run. Well, I should have this big a church, and I should have this many people, and I should have this kind of budget. You overestimate what God wants to do through you in the short run. When you don't get it, you feel disillusioned. And in my opinion, the biggest problem is because you overestimate what should happen in the short run and you don't get it, you grossly simultaneously underestimate what God wants to do through you in the long run. 
You're talking tens and twenties and hundreds when I believe God would be saying to you tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions and you're all disillusioned because something didn't happen immediately. And I'm telling you right now, don't freak out if it doesn't happen immediately, but be very careful not to underestimate what God wants to do through this generation, which could very likely be one of the last generations on earth before the trumpet sounds. There is spiritual greatness in you. Don't get discouraged in the short term. Think big and bigger 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 in the long run. The problem again is when those feel like, well, we deserve this and we deserve that and we overestimate. When you don't get what you want, in fact, the number one question that Andy, and Andy Stanley and I get when we go out to do uh, Catalyst One Day events. We get two questions that are common. What's your schedule? Which is a stupid question, as if your schedule is going to be like Andy's. Just saying. Number two is, how do I lead up? I'm a youth pastor. I'm trying to get my, how do I lead up? How do I influence those who are, it's a good question. I went and asked my pastor who let me lead up. I said, why did you let me lead up? And he said, it's very simple. He said, you always honored me. You always honored me. Because the younger generation feels entitled to so much, it is a generation that does not show honor well. Yes, everybody's getting real quiet, but this is really, really true. It is a generation that does not show honor well. Andy Stanley says this. He says, "Uh, honor publicly leads to influence privately. Honor publicly leads to influence privately. You want to influence those who are above you. Honor them. Honor them. Not not just fake honor. And I'm telling you, I hear it all the time, the 25. Well, they don't get it, and they don't know. Well, yeah, sure, they don't get everything. They're not your age. They don't sit in your seat. But I'm telling you, they get far more than you know. They, they, They are war heroes. They are veterans, and you'll see things they don't see, but I promise you, they see so many things that you do not see. And if you'll learn to work together, if they'll love and invest in you, and if you will honor them, all of a sudden you will see a tremendous change in what God wants to do. The purpose that I wanted to show that today is because, first of all, I I think it's really important that we figure out how we intergenerationally mix. I think that we've, as a church, world, that we've done a a really good job breaking everybody apart. We have junior church, we have Sunday school for little kids, we have adult youth, or a a senior youth, and we have marrieds, and we have singles, and we have divorcees, and we have all these different groups, which is not bad for a particular situation, but yet we're not doing ourselves much service when we don't allow each other to feed each other from other experiences that we have. In other words, the youth need to be influenced by the older generation. And the older generation need to have their eyes open to what's going on in the youth. If we want to protect these youth and if we want to not lose them to the world, we need to be a part of them. So I would encourage us as a church to try to figure that out. How do we do this? How do we, grandma, grandpa, um, young, older person maybe that's just uh, empty nester, how do you help or how do you take on a mentoring role with somebody else's child. And I know I have four children that are older now that are in the you know 20s to 30s. And uh, I really appreciated it in our church in Brighton when I had one of the older fellas there 
kind of take Tyler under his wing or one of the ladies took one of my daughters under their wing. And it was nice to have somebody that I trusted that could feed into my kids. And we need to do that better, I think. I think that we need to um, open up that conversation. We need to allow children to be children, but yet us, we need to have a relationship with them. And children, you need to look at older folks, not as weird. That's why I wanted that junior church group to be in here today, because I want you to know, guys, that you're really important to us and that we want to feed into your life. And we want to be able to help you through some of the things in life that you're going to go through. Not that we know all the answers, but we've been around the block a little bit. And uh, we were young at one point in time, even though you don't think that's possible. Um, but some of us have been younger than others. So I, I just want to encourage us that we, we look at the ministry opportunities in this church as being very relevant. And um, let me just say that I, don't, I, I want to keep this on a very positive note because I believe it's very positive. But at the same time, there's always a negative, there's always a darker side to a lighter side. And, uh, you know, there is a rule that kind of happens in organizations. And it's the old 80-20 rule. Anybody know what that is? Somebody tell me, what is, what is the 80-20 rule? There you go. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You find that to be true in most situations? And unfortunately, at the, my church world, where I was a, a layman and um, a Sunday school teacher and uh, a treasurer and not a board member when I was in Brighton down there and, and uh, formulating those years to being up here as a pastor, I see that to be true. And the church down there was there. church up here, it's kind of there as well. And I'm trying to figure out why is that. Well, I, I see a couple of reasons. Number one, clearly we are against a foe that doesn't want any us to work in the, anybody to work in the church. And if you are going to work in a church, he's going to work you to death. <laughs> so the devil's not going to, you're not going to win for losing when it comes to him because he's either going to keep you sitting on your hands because you're too busy doing other things and you don't think church work's important or once you do volunteer, he's going to give you so much to do that you're going to work yourself to death and you're going to burn out and you're going to fall down there. So what's the proper way to look at it? I think... The proper way to look at it is whatever happens in a church, change the word work to ministry. If you have to work in the nursery, think of it as ministry in the nursery. Think of it as you are influencing those little children in there that they may be running around and loud and playing with toys and making noises and pooping and all that other stuff, and you've got to clean them up and all that nonsense. But think about what you're really doing to that little child. Think about the tender hands that you are. Think about the influence that you could have in their life. Think of the smile that they can look at you and they can sit in your lap a little bit and you can rock them and you can do all the things or whatever you have to do. Think of, think of the way that you can influence them in a positive way. And all of a sudden, now nursery work doesn't become the work, it becomes ministry. And now, if that was the case, we will have people lining up to work in the ministry of the nursery. We won't say it, no, I've done that. I, I did my deal when I was younger, and I'm not going to do it anymore because I can't handle those kids. I can't pick them up, whatever. Okay, well, we'll have a couple ladies or a couple people in there, maybe younger and older together. It'd be great if we had a younger and older in there together because that way, too, the younger and the older can be relating, too. Right? So it's not just 
from the nursery workers to the, to the nursery children. Maybe it's the nursery workers are developing a relationship. Maybe you have an older woman in there, a grandma in there with a younger person, a younger mom in there, and maybe you guys are conversing as well and saying, you know, and maybe you're developing a relationship. All of these things are ministry opportunities, not work opportunities. Same thing with children's church. Same thing with teaching Sunday school. Same thing with guys having work projects on Saturdays. If we were to put something together to go help some shut-ins or some elderlies, and all of a sudden we've got a younger guy with an older guy. Great opportunity, guys, to be mentoring each other. Great opportunity to be working together. I just think that there's many opportunities that we're not taking advantage of. I think the hardest thing for us is, is to get going. I think the hardest thing is, is to take the first step. Once I take that first step and get myself moving in it, all of a sudden I think we see how much we enjoy it. And it wasn't as bad as what we thought. So I would encourage us as we look at things to do in our church that we would see the ministry opportunities. I have um, some handouts. In fact, if the guys would hand them out right now, I'd appreciate it. I just went through a list of ideas. And again, I, I see this not to be inclusive of anything, but I just, I just threw down a, a list of ideas, some things that we could do as a church that maybe we're doing already and maybe we're not. Maybe some people are already involved in them, maybe they're not. I will take responsibility and I will say that I have not done a very good job in all, in all areas in providing the framework for leadership. I think what we do is we have to recognize, we have to look at, at leadership as not being top down and saying everybody's going to do this, but I think what we do is we give a skeleton that needs to be worked out and let people fill in, put the flesh on it, put the meat on it. It's kind of like uh, when they grow a reef, if there's been a damaged coral reef in the ocean, they'll sink a ship or something and they'll put a structure under the water for the barnacles and the sea life to attach to, to grow to and it's not long and there's a vibrant living reef because there was a structure placed for life to grow on. And that's kind of what we need to do as a church. We need to provide the structure for life to grow on. So I'm putting this list together for everybody to look at. And uh, maybe I know there's things on here that I haven't included, probably, and you certainly can add lists to it. But what I'm, at, what I'm really doing is I'm giving the authority here for any of you to come up with a ministry idea and get some people around to help you and to start it. And let's get some things going in here. I know we've got a couple things that right now are pretty desperately, we need some help. Um, we have a very effective clothing ministry called Tabitha's Closet. And Jim and Angel Beers have done an awesome job in putting that together. But you know what? They need help. They need help. Listen, everybody listen to me. Think of this as ministry. Think of this as getting relationships with people that are not like you and I together necessarily. And we just need to help them out. Angel and Jim have done a great job putting the structure together. It's very organized. It's very put together. But, you know, they can't do it all on their own anymore. They're, they're getting in ages like we all are. And it's a lot of hard work. But it's also a lot of fun, isn't it, Angel? When you have things happening in there and people are coming in, it, you just if you could volunteer and get with Angel and say, Angel, what can I do to help? You can work on... Yeah, right. 
Absolutely. Very simple things to do. And you know what? And don't be afraid that you're going to have to talk to somebody that may not be like you. That's okay. Just talk to them. Just be friends. Just show up and be there. And so that's just an example that we need some help with. Um, um, I would love to have a vibrant youth ministry here with our younger kids. The, nur the, the nursery on Sunday school time and church time and Wednesday night time and any special events. It would be great if we could have the nursery ministry staff well all the time so that the young families can come in and know their children are going to be taken care of. Young families are under a lot of pressure today. They need help. Grandmas and grandpas, understand how important you are to their children. We really need to staff that better and not make it work, but make it ministry. When we do that, I guarantee you, you will have a reward in heaven that you will not be able to contain. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me, right? He was very encouraging about all those things. So this morning, I just want to leave it up to you right now. That's all I want to say. Uh, I, I'm, very, I'm very thrilled where, with where we are going. We have some positive things. I, I do want to put some different things together. I do want to get a, aggressive on some things. I want to have a missions committee. And I would like to really focus more on our missions. And I'd like to have a mission Sunday where we have this committee do a report every, every month on a, uh, on a specific missionary. So we are continually focusing ourselves outward of this church. We're never looking inwardly. We're not getting ingrown, but we're always looking outward. And the outward mission is not necessarily in Africa, but it may be your neighbor. I've heard it said that the biggest barrier to missions is the fence between you and your neighbor. If you can get over that fence from you to your neighbor, missions can be accomplished in your church. It's not always world missions. It's right in our neighborhood. So I would encourage you to sleep this morning that we don't um, downplay or think of yourself as not being important to this body. You really are. We have some really good Sunday school teachers. And not, not only would I encourage those to be leaders, but I would encourage all of us to be led. We, we, um, our adult class, Janine's doing an awesome job. Dick does an awesome job. You know, they put a lot of time and preparation and the other teachers, I know that Diane does a great job preparing, and Jill and Robin and all the others that do youth. Bring your kids. And here's how you want to bring your kids. You have to lead them. You have to be there first. If you're going to mentor somebody, you have to show them not with your words, but with your life. If you're not leading them with your life, they won't listen to your words. So come in on Wednesday nights for Bible study. It's good. It's, it's discussional. It's, it's relevant. We're trying to make it so application-oriented. And here's how to make it better. You show up and make it better. Be there. We're preparing a big dinner for you guys. And we are, want everyone to come in and eat of the things of God. This isn't a waste of time. Believe me, it's not a waste of time. Because the time is short. Like I said, this is Elul 29. We don't know what the future holds. But I want to be productive to the end day. I want the Lord finding me busy. I don't want him finding me sitting on my hands. And I want to be listening. I want to be teachable. I want to be learnable. I love it when other people teach. I love to sit under their teaching. I love to hear what they have to say. I love to hear what the Lord's revealing to them because I learn from that. 
And I'm very encouraged by that. So I would just encourage all of us to look for opportunities of ministry and look for opportunities to be ministered to and don't let the devil win in any of these areas. Do not let him keep you out of either being receiving or being the received or the giver. Do not let him laugh at you. Because if he makes you stay home, if he gives you an excuse and you buy into that, understand who's laughing at you. He's not your friend. If he can keep you out of Sunday school, if he can keep you out of Wednesday night, he's laughing at you. See it that way. See it for how serious it really is. And then see it for who you're pleasing when you're there. You're pleasing your Father in heaven because he wants to pour into you. And the only way he can pour into you is if you're willing to receive it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for your presence amongst us. I thank you, Lord, that you are leading us one person at a time, one step at a time, one idea at a time. And Lord, I pray for this list of ideas that we've passed out for ministry ideas here at Centerpoint. And I pray, God, that they will, some of them, if not all of them, will take root and take action. And I, I pray, Lord, that this whole body will be so um, involved in ministry that we will just be a living organism. We'll be the most healthy church. We'll be the most healthy reef on the barrier. We'll have all kinds of little fish coming and eating from the food that drops off of our tables because we'll have so much to offer. And in the process, Lord, we'll be healthy, and those serving will be, will be stronger, and those being served will be healed, will be strengthened. I thank you for that leadership. But Lord, as the days unfold, Lord, as we've said already, we really don't know what's in store, but we do know that we are in the season. And God, I pray for every person here that we would not be fearful but Lord that we would be drawn to be more productive we'd be drawn to be closer to you and that we would look forward to what is happening help us Lord Jesus to be part of the solution in all of these situations help us to look forward to your coming back give us a hunger for you I ask this in Jesus name amen, amen. have a great day today and, uh, and just look forward to what the Lord has in store. Amen. It's a great day coming.